I appreciate you, uh, appreciate very much each of you coming out tonight. Uh, we wish Randy a very speedy recovery. Um, I know he, he says he doesn't feel bad. He just has a little hard talking. But uh, I know we wish him a speedy recovery. But I got a feeling there's some students that it's in his class probably don't wish him quite a speedy recovery so he can't talk. And that way he puts their class off for a little bit. But uh, uh, we do wish him well. And we do miss him that uh, he's not up here. And But I hope tonight that I can bring something to you that maybe means something to us just a little bit. Joe just read from us in Exodus 20, verses 1 through 6. And God spoke these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. Have you ever really thought about what an idol is? You know, probably not a lot have you, you know, thought about that. It's not something that we, we deal with in the, the Christian society today we have. But what is an idol? They're a carved or formed image or a statue, sort of like the statue of Buddha, the elephant god, an image of a bull, and, you know, so on. You know, this is true, and, but I, I know that none of us go home tonight and bow down and worship an idol. I have full faith in my heart that that doesn't happen. So I guess we can all just check off number one and two. We're good, and we can all go home. There's nothing else we need to do tonight. But I'm not really sure that is quite all the way true. I found a great definition of an idol. And believe it or not, it came out of 1828, Webster English Dictionary. It defined an idol as an image or form or representation, usually of a man or another animal, consecrated as an object of worship, a pagan deity. We understand that, the little idols that we see. It also goes on and says, a person loved, honored to adoration. Well, okay, now that's getting a little bit different now when it talks about an individual person. He continues to say, anything on which we set our affections, to which we indulge an excessive and sinful attachment. Therefore, an idol is anything which usurps the place of God in our hearts for his rational crea uh, creatures. Now that was in the Webster Dictionary. It says that an idol is anything that really we take the place in our hearts instead of the place that God should take. Let's look just a minute at uh, when Jesus talked to the rich young ruler. And he came up and he asked him how to inherit eternal life. In Mark 10, 17 through 22. Now he was going on the road one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept for my youth. 
Then Jesus, looking at him, he loved him, and he said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven to come. Take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Why did the young ruler go away sad? He said he had kept all the commandments since his youth, or at least he thought he had. He had great possessions. Was that what was going to keep him from being able to, to have eternal life? It wasn't the things that he owned. It was the place that those things took in his heart. He thought more of those things than he did of worshiping God. He replaced God in his heart with his possessions. That's what would keep him from eternal life. Therefore, really, what is an idol? An idol is all the various forms in the world today that have one thing at its core, self, myself. You know, we as Christians, we don't bow down to idols and images, but do we instead worship the God of self? Do we indulge in anything that is excessive or sinful in our lives? You know, when you look at the word idle, the first letter is I. So there's a lot of things today in the modern world that are idolatry that we have to face. One of the things is work, success materialism. Now all these are separate items, but they're all intertwined also. You know, many people, they work today, it gives them a sense of significance and security. And there's nothing wrong with work. It is a good thing because in 2 Thessalonians 3:10, we're taught, "For when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat." You know, however, work can be dangerous when it drives our decision-making to the point that we completely ignore what God's will is and his desires. Or we put those things, you know, that are equally, we put this work that is ahead of things that are equally and more deserving of our time. You know, we work to make more money. The more money we make, the more stuff we buy. You know, our homes are filled today with uh, all manner of possessions. We build bigger and bigger houses with more closets, more storage spaces, in order to house all the things that we buy. And you know, all the stuff we buy has a built-in obsolescence in it. It's done deliberately that way because we buy it, and in a little time, it's useless. So what do we do? We pack it away. We go put it in the closet, in the garage. We store it. Then we go out and buy the newest item, the newest piece of clothing, the new gadget, and the process starts all over again. This desire for more and more better and newer stuff is nothing more than covetousness. And the 10th commandment tells us not to fall you know, victim to this coveting. In Exodus 20, 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not, shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. 
You know, God just, he doesn't want to just rain on our buying. He doesn't want to put a dampening on that. But he knows that our buying, our indulgence in the materialistic things will never bring us true happiness. And it's nothing more than a, one of Satan's traps. Because Satan knows if we can be involved in the things we buy and the things we do, we're turning away from God. We're keeping ourselves away from him. You know, but, you know, God also wants us to be successful. He doesn't want our success, though, to take the place in our hearts. He wants, those, he wants his place in our heart always, but he still wants us to be successful. You know, when we pursue success outside of God's will, it's only temporary. And then we have to pursue a greater success. You know, however, when we choose to surrender to God and his ways, we will be prosperous and we will be successful. In Joshua 1.8, it says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And you know, we can't talk about materialism unless you really talk about money. In today's society, everything is judged based on money. The amount of possessions you have, the amount of money you have, the amount you make, the amount of money you make, that's how they judge success. And there's nothing wrong with money. Money has a true value. It's what the world functions on. It's the way we use exchange, the way we buy things, sell things. That's the way we live in life. There's nothing wrong with the money itself. But the thing we need to always remember is what Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, uh, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now think just a minute when it comes to money. You go to the grocery store, and you go through, and you get your groceries, and it comes out to $48.89. And you give the cashier a $50 bill and you think, that was good. That didn't cost me much at all. I'm pleased. Then Sunday morning you put a $50 bill in the plate and you start thinking, am I going to have enough money to make it through the week? That's a lot of money to be given. Both exact same amount. The difference in the two is the attitude we have toward it. What's in our heart. You know, it's easy to make success an idol when we follow other people's definitions rather than what God's definition is. You know, along with this also comes pride and ego. And, you know, this sort of takes the form of obsession with our careers and our jobs. How many men and women today work 60 to 80 hours a week? They even work on weekends and at nights during their vacations. Their laptops are humming, their phones are going, their minds are in a whirlwind, and all they're doing is thinking about how can we make the business more successful? How can I get that next promotion? How can I get that next raise? Can I close this next deal? Am I making my boss happy in what I'm doing? Everything we're doing, it's striving for that success, the success of the world. But, you know, in the meantime, 
sadly, the people that many times suffer is our children, our spouses, our family, because what we're doing, we're taking away from them the time, the love and affection that we need to be given to them. So we've taken the strive for that success and put it more important than anything else in our lives. But you know, we, we sort of satisfy that by thinking, I'm doing this to make this a better life for them. I can make this better for my children than the life that I have. But really all we're doing is, in essence, I think all we're doing is we're just trying to increase our own self-esteem to make us appear more successful in the world. And it's all in the eyes of the world. It's not in the eyes of God. And all of our labors and accomplishments has no use to it when we die. Nor will all the admiration we got in this world because it has no eternal value. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 2, 21 through 23, For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. Yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what has a man for all his labor and for the striving of his heart with which he has toiled on the sun? For his days are sorrowful and his work burdensome. Even in the night his heart takes no rest. This is also vanity. Just remember that no matter how hard we work and all the things we accomplish and all the things we can accumulate, you never see a U-Haul being pulled behind a hearse. You don't take it with you. And you know, when you, you, top, you know, when you stop and think of ego, I can't help stop and think about these things right here. Every one of us carry them around. And the sad thing is, many of us stop every five minutes to check them. We're checking to see what's going on. We want instant gratification. We want to know instantly what somebody else is doing, what's happening in the world. You know, our whole society is built on instant gratification. We have instant foods. We have fast foods. We have drive-ins. We have TVs and movies that are on demand now. And we have current breaking news at our fingertips by just touching a button. Not just what's happening in the world, but what's happening with all of our friends. We feel like we have to keep up with everything they do. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with the phones. There's nothing wrong with keeping up with what's happening in the world unless you let that electronic device. It takes more time and attention than you give to your loved ones or you give to God. Many of us stop and think, if we spend as much time studying the Bible as we do talking on the phone and looking on the phone and looking on Facebook and looking what's happening in the news, just think how much the knowledge we would have gained of God would increase. Also look at man himself. You know, through naturalism and the power of science, we've allowed man, us, to believe that we're lords of this world. We can control everything about it, or at least we can try to control everything. You know, we've rejected God's word and his description how he created the heavens and the earth, and we accept this nonsense of evolution and naturalism. Now, I didn't say we believe it, but I said we've accepted it. 
What's taught in our schools today? Evolution. Is the biblical account ever taught in schools? And you know, if you go back and look, and if you look at the, the world, the U.S. we live in today, most people believe in God, and they believe in creation. The few that don't have dominated what happens in life. And it's just because we've stood back and not done anything about it. It's not that we don't believe, we don't take action. So we embrace uh, environmentalism, and we fool ourselves into thinking that we can preserve this earth indefinitely. But God has already told us, he's declared the earth has a limited lifespan, and it will last only until the end of age when he says it is done. Now, we should be good stewards, I agree, and take care of what he's given us. You know, we ought to do the best we can, but we need to remember this earth is only going to be here for a limited time. Because in 2 Peter 3, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. If everything is going to be destroyed, what kind of people are we supposed to be? What did Peter tell us? He says we ought to live a holy and godly life and look forward to the day that God comes and a speedy day that he comes. And he tells us our focus should be worshiping him, not on what's happening on this, this earth. God alone is the one that deserves our worship, nothing else. So remember, an idol is anything that takes the place of God in our hearts. How can we know if something is an idol? Something is an idol if it causes us to disobey God. Now, you know, we already talked about work. How often does work become an idol when it causes us to disobey God's will? How many times do we miss services because we say we have to work? And I know there's extenuating circumstances at times when people do have to go work. There's emergency cases when they have to, they have to work. But how many times have I missed service because I needed to stay at the bank and work? Am I letting my job become an idol because I'm disobeying God's will? Something is an idol when it gives me greater joy than Christ. Something is an idol when it gives me the most excitement about the future. Do I dream more and get more excited about thinking of going to Disney World than I do having a home in heaven with God? Just think about that. Think of the things that you think of. Something is an idol when I daydream about the most. Something is an idol when it's what I most enjoy talking about. Something is an idol when it's I most enjoy reading about it. Something is an idol when I love spending my money on it. Something is an idol when I look to it 
to rejuvenate my heart. Something is an idol when I enjoy spending time on it. But more importantly, something is an idol when it is what I fear losing the most. Now, we all go through hard times. If you fear about losing the money, the possessions that you've accumulated, you fear about losing your wife, your husband, your children, your family, losing your job, losing the security you've got, you fear that, but if you fear that more than not having a home in heaven with God, you've taken God out of your hearts and you've put those things as an idol in front of him. So whatever I trust the most is what I worship as my God. In Psalm 16, 2, O my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. You know, so whatever I seek my good in is my Lord. And to seek my good in something means I seek my joy and my satisfaction in it. And if I'm seeking my joy in anything more than Christ, has it become my God? Is it an idol? It's not that we can't feel joy in anything besides Christ alone. Because Paul told us in 1 Timothy 6, 17, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. God gives us all the beauty and all the enjoyment in this world. Everything we do, everything we enjoy, enjoy our jobs, our families, our vacations, our hobbies, everything we do, even that TV show that you enjoy watching, it's a gift from God. It's something God has given you to enjoy. Just always remember where it comes from. But if you really want to put in perspective, if we could take all the joys that we have in this world and we could quantify it, it would equal one drop of water. The joy that we can have a, with a home in heaven with God is equivalent to all the water in the world. You're talking about such a minute thing that we have to enjoy right now compared to what we can have when we put God first in our lives. We need to always remember that the joy we find in life is perfectly fine. But when we have that joy, we want to be sure that that joy points to Christ and we remember where it comes from. And we then can have that joy and that joy does not become an idol in our lives. You know, our hearts and minds must be centered on God and on others. In Matthew 22, 36 through 40, the Pharisees asked Jesus, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So when we love the Lord and and every, everyone else, everything that is in us. There's no room for idolatry in our hearts. When we put the love of God and love of everyone else first, our hearts are full. 
there is no room for the idolatry. So when we truly love God and him alone we worship, then it will fulfill me. In Psalms 37, 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And in Romans 10, 11, it says, For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. He will not be disappointed. You know, the first thing is, don't settle for an image of a God. Only settle for the real thing. And if I truly love God, and, and he alone do I worship, it will deliver me. Because Jesus said in John 8, 32, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then in verse 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You know, you can be set free from the approval of everyone else. You might as well be because there's no way you're going to make everybody happy. You're never going to be able to accomplish the approval of everyone. You only have to have the approval of one audience, one person, that audience, and that's God. And when you're set free, you can be set free from your past. You can be forgiven. And when you're set free, you can be set free from the present. You'll be able to overcome all those problems and things that you have to deal with in your daily life. And you can be set free from your future. Because with God, you won't be afraid to die. Because you know what's across the threshold of death. It's that home in heaven with him. And when we truly love God and him alone we worship, it will develop me. Because in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord, we are being changed into his image. And how much more can we ask for than to put Christ and God to be an image of him? Because once we've done that, we've taken all the idolatry of the world away, and he alone is what centers in our heart. You know, when we put Christ first in our lives, the modern-day idolatry, the self, will not be a controlling factor in our lives. In Colossians 3.17, we're told, And whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what do you idolize today? What do you worship? Do you idolize some person, some movie star, some athlete, some elected official, some TV show, some book. Do you idolize food? What do you idolize in your life? What controls your life? What controls your life should be God and Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. God wants us to worship him and him alone, nobody else. We were put here to worship him, not for any other reason. And our lives is such a minute speck in the time of eternity that we're here. Think of what we can be doing when the rest of eternity comes and we can be with Christ and we can be there to enjoy all the things 
that he has given us and things that we can't even begin to imagine to live at home in heaven with him. You know, if you've never put God in your life, if you've never put him first in your life, there's not a better time than tonight to be baptized in the water for the remission of your sins. Let the blood of Christ cleanse your soul. Or if you strayed away and you back into the world and you put things first in front of God, there's not a better time right now to put God back first. Just come. We'll be glad to pray with you and for you to put God back first in your life. Don't let idolatry, today's idolatry, take the place of God in your heart. Be sure who takes the primary place in your heart and the things that you do in your life. If any of you have a need, why don't you come now as we stand and sing.